Hello and welcome to the Work Matters Podcast, where we talk about what matters at work and how to make it better. I'm Robert Richardson, here with Dr. Steve Hunt. Steve, what matters at work today? Family matters today, Robert, particularly dealing with the challenges of working and raising a family simultaneously. This has got to be a topic that you've definitely had experience with. So how do you balance family and work? Yeah, that's right. I do. I have four children and uh, a wonderful wife. And I think she is probably the key to how I juggle everything. It's such a big question, Steve. I really spent pretty much the whole weekend thinking about this. And the hard part is it sort of depends on when you mean, because are you talking about when we had our first kid? There was a period where we had three kids under six years old. And I think I'm still recovering from that. Um, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think your point's really good because I have two boys that are older, but it still goes on. It You never stop having this balance. Family yeah. and it's always going on. And, you know, and it goes beyond just whether having children, there can be other things too. Where you feel a sense of responsibility to the welfare of other people in your social environment, whether it's elder parents or anything, we have care that takes your attention, but you also need to work at the same time. And yeah. I think historically, we just sort of assume you ignore one and do the other, but that doesn't work for anyone who's living this life. So is there anything that you've done that's worked well on this or that you're struggling with? Yeah, it's funny. I went for a walk with my wife and I literally started interviewing her to think through some of this stuff. You know, what do we do? And I actually asked her, I was like, what are the things that I've done that help you? And then we kind of went back and forth in that way and talked about some of it. The big ones that came up for her was taking breaks. And there's big breaks and there's little breaks. Big breaks are things like, hey, why don't you take the weekend? Sometimes we'll trade off every six months. Like one of us will literally go take the weekend and do something interesting. But I think the little breaks were really as important as anything. She was telling me, we do this thing now uh, where we swap Monday and Tuesday. So every Monday is my night after we get done with horse lessons and stuff like that. I take the evening and I hang out with friends or I do whatever. And then on Tuesday, uh, she has an arboreum class that we got her for her birthday. And she literally takes every Tuesday the whole evening from seven o'clock on and we don't disturb her. You know, she just gets a break. And so those little breaks throughout our entire relationship is what she said helps keep her sane as a mother. Yeah, I look at my own life and definitely too, there's things that we muddled through and it really was muddling through kind of coming up. There's no guide on how to do this, but yeah. I'm really excited today because we actually have somebody who, if anyone could write a guide on it, it would be Dr. Pam Cohen, who is our guest today. So Pam is a behavioral research scientist with a focus on qualitative and quantitative methodologies to really create more family-friendly policies and how to help companies help people, particularly women, because I think family care follows more, and we'll talk more about that. She's also a company called The Mom Project. So Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Pam. Well, we always start this with the same question at the other guests. Why does this matter so much to you? How did you decide to focus your skills and expertise on this issue of balancing work and family? Well, you know, my work primarily has been in consulting and with think tanks and focusing on corporate reputation and corporate social responsibility, finding ways to measure those things and link them back to bottom line so C-suite executives would care about them. And that meant a fair amount of travel in my career, working with big corporations, going from place to place. And I was also raising my son, who's now 20 years old, as a single parent. And I would bring him with me everywhere. We, I had great work. We had a great time. Um, I would have somebody travel with me, take care of him when I needed to be places. 
but it never occurred to me to let any of my clients or my employers know that I had other responsibilities. I just never thought about saying, oh, I need to be here. I need to be there for my son. I just quietly arranged that. You know, it was fine. But 15 years later, as my son was getting older, I found what um, Allison Robinson was doing in building a company called The Mom Project. And it was really all about people telling their employers that they needed to have some sort of work-life integration, that they were going to be forward about having families and needing time for that. And I just thought that that was incredible because I hadn't seen that many changes across the time that my son was growing up. And so I really wanted to get involved with that. And again, it has the same principles too, of finding ways to understand, measure those things and link them back to bottom line to show companies why those things matter. Well, I think if it's interesting, you were kind of focusing on helping companies understand the value of sort of social responsibility. And then you realize there was this one area where there's a lot of value, which is supporting parents and your own sort of lived experience. And I I think what you hit on there too is this, historically, we just kind of asked employees to pretend like you didn't have family. Well, the first question I guess I have, because Robert and I are fathers, we're not mothers. Is there a fundamental difference between the experience of family caregiving and work balance for mothers versus fathers, or is it really the same? It just does the gender matter, I guess. I think by and large, we have to say that that matters. Some of it is role definition, but for the most part, we still have relatively traditional roles in that mothers tend to take up the bulk of the work for the family, even when they're working full time. The expectation is there that they will be the primary caretaker. And that's not just for children. It tends to be true for older relatives or for anything else that needs to be done for the home or for the family. They tend to be primary. So it makes a big difference when it comes to work and balancing work. It's not true across the board, but it does tend to be true more often than it's not. I think there is a biological difference. I can never know what it's like to actually give birth to a child. We're going to focus today's episode on mothers. But we're going to do another episode after this focusing on fathers, because I know both Robert and I selfishly want to get that perspective too. The first question then, thinking about moms and the work that you've done, if we focus on mothers, what would be the things you need to keep in mind right off the top? Well, I think the first thing that I always try and tell moms when I'm talking with them is that there's really no such thing as work-life balance. There's work-life integration. And I think trying to make women men too, but women to a greater extent believe that somehow there's some perfectly achievable balance is just wrong. It only leads to feelings of more guilt. And we all have those feelings of when we're doing one thing, if we have children, we feel like we should be doing another. If you're at work, you feel like it should be home. If you're at home, you're wondering what's going on at work. So the idea of finding a perfect balance isn't correct, but finding ways to integrate both and have those trade-offs and learning to feel comfortable in those trade-offs, I think is what's absolutely essential. I'm curious, Pam, do you have sort of just regular advice that is always kind of like an easy go-to set of rules for families that are trying to juggle work and life? Rules of integration. One is self-advocacy, learning to advocate for uh, what your needs are, which women don't tend to come by that naturally. Women still tend to be more accommodating, tend to be a lot more concerned, and sometimes justifiably so, that organizations will hold it against them if they ask for flexibility. So we're asking companies to step up to respect those needs 
Mm -hmm. uh, it in turn, they get a much more productive, much more engaged worker. But from the family side, we're asking people to take a real hard look at their schedules and what they actually need and to present that and to present their possible solutions to it. For both men and women, where they're in partnership on this, we're asking men to look at it from a perspective of not just I'm there to help, which is a nice start, but I'm the partner on this. So I don't just ask what's needed, but I just say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this and literally make some decisions on what they're going to do and what their part's going to be and not be asked to be delegated that. Because as soon as you ask somebody what you can do to help, you're basically saying the responsibility for that is yours, but I'm willing to help you. You delegate it to me. And that can be problematic. The flip side of that, women have to learn to accept that their partners may do things differently than they do. And they have to be okay with that. They're not paying for their help. They need to accept that they're the other parent. They're going to be doing things differently. This is true, by the way, for same-sex parents as well. I would be remiss if I didn't say that. You have a birth parent, a non-birth parent. If you want to say that things are 50-50, then you have to talk like real partners. Yeah. And we struggle with this one in my family sometimes because my wife does stay at home. That's the decision that we made as a family. But that means that when I step in to take on some of the roles in our household she typically owns, I don't do it right every time, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I really appreciate what you're saying there because it is challenging. You know, it's sort of somebody stepping in and doing, from her perspective, her job and not the way that she would always do it. One of the things that really is coming across is role clarity, having discussions about role clarification. One of the things you mentioned though early was advocating. And I'm thinking... Companies differ so much in how supportive they are of family care and of women in general, I would say. There's differences in companies. If I am a woman struggling with this, how can you advocate where you're nervous about it? As you tell your own story, you kind of like hid the fact that you were raising this child because you didn't know how people would react. How is the right way for women to advocate if they feel, I want to make sure I'm getting the support, I like my job, but I'm I want to make it sustainable. Well, first of all, when my son was younger, that was just kind of the norm. People really didn't talk about what they had going on outside of work. It just never even occurred to me to mention things I had going on. But I believe now that that's changing, that that's shifted a lot. And that that's one thing that women have to start telling themselves is as the shift happens, then part of what we need to do to maintain that, to make that stronghold better is to start to think about what they need to be successful in the workplace. And we're seeing that more post-pandemic where women are saying, and some men too are saying, I only want to go back to an office two out of five days a week. This is the kind of workplace I want to work for. And really making a decision about that. I can be fully present if I have this kind of schedule. And I think that's the first part of learning to self-advocate is saying, okay, what's happening here? What I'm saying is that if you really want 100% of me, you need to work with me on a schedule that I can accommodate and going back and forth on that. It doesn't mean that the company is just automatically going to say, okay, fine, but you've set up a basis around which to negotiate. You set up a standard for your commitment to them. And part of that is just understanding that you know, you're a very valued member of a team, that you're somebody they want to keep there to begin with, 
And not that they're doing you any favors, but they're going to work with you on this. So that's really the start of it. If I'm a mother, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have a child. What would be the starting conversation to sit down with your manager to sort of say, hey, my life's going to change and my work's going to need to change. Is there a starting sort of point for that where you say, talk through these things specifically? And I'm sort of thinking of giving advice to like a woman out there right now who's about to have a child. What would be the things she should sit down and say, let's go through these points with my manager? Well, I think first and foremost is making a, a list for herself on you know what she thinks she's going to be willing to do or not willing to do. She really has a commitment and says, okay, you know, I'm having this baby. I'm coming back to work. I need this amount of time off. Again, a lot of times all that stuff flies out the window when the baby's actually born. So I think that you have to have in your own mind some need for flexibility for yourself. When my son was born, I had no other reference point than work. For the first couple of weeks, all I wanted to do was get back to work. I was in the middle of writing a book. That's much easier to do than than understanding care and feeding of a newborn. <laughs> so that's all I could think about. And then I fell completely in love with this baby and wanted to bring him with me everywhere. So when I see moms who are going to be first-time moms, a lot of times the plans they make, you're hearing them and you know that they're probably not realistic. They're saying, okay, I'm going to have this baby. And then the following week, I'm going to be back at this meeting and things like that. Or I'm going to take my leave for six weeks and then I'm going to be back and nothing's going to change. So hopefully you've got a skillful manager that can kind of help you come up with a few plans. But that is what I tell women. Come up with a few different plans. Plan A, a plan B, a plan C. If you feel like you're really committed to that job. Best case scenario, I'm ready to go in this amount of time. I need this, some, this kind of ramp up. And worst case, it's this. Let them know that you're committed. You want to stay at the job. And these are the kind of resources that would be helpful. Hopefully you're at a company where the manager then meets you and the leadership are very supportive of that as well. You can't always have that, but hopefully you do. Uh, But it gives you a good basis to start. That's something I'm really curious about is the manager perception, the organizational perception. Pam, are those requests perceived differently in your research by managers when they come from men or women? The difference is really more parents versus non-parents. You know, one thing that we found is that, which, which I will say, is that mom managers tend to make great managers overall. They tend to be more supportive, more empathetic. They grow their teams. They have few less attrition. Hmm. But when it comes to understanding the needs of a parent, um, somebody who has had children, even if the children are grown, is much more likely to understand the need to and how to accommodate a new parent or a second time parent. So a lot of times I'll advise companies on working with managers who aren't parents to understand how overwhelming it is to become a parent. Happy news or not, sometimes people think because it's a happy event, it's not overwhelming, but it's unbelievably life-altering. There is just nothing like it I think that's so true. I remember my sister once talking about it where somebody was saying, you know, whatever you think are your top 10 most important things, they're actually 11 through 20. And I like this idea of saying, make multiple lists because whatever you plan, you're going to have to change the plans. That's the reality of children. But earlier you had mentioned too, with women in particular, not feeling guilty about trade-offs. Can yeah. you talk a little more about that? Because I think that is something that part of being a parent and working is you, you can never do enough. 
I think either way, that's yep. just sort of the reality. But what advice would you give to that person out there who is just feeling like I'm not being fully present in either place and I'm feeling bad and guilty? Yeah, I mean, usually it's let's start with a little bit more realistic attitude about this. The idea that literally feeling like you need to be two places at once, it's impossible. So you have to get, let go of that notion that there is a possible way to do this, or that everybody is going to be comfortable at the same time, that your child or children are going to understand that you have to work and your workplace is going to understand that you have to take care of your children. You know, theoretically, that's possible, but they still want you there. And that's, I think, what they're responding to is why everybody's tugging at me. I don't feel comfortable anywhere. So you have to get comfortable with it good enough. The idea that I'm going to spend this time concentrating on work, I'll either explain it to my kids or they're too young to explain it to. I've got somebody good there to care for them um, or partners there caring for them. And that has to be okay for the time being. In the, your example, I think of my father who traveled a lot, but when he was present, he was fully present with those kids. I never felt like he wasn't around, although looking back, he wasn't around a lot of the time because when he was there, he was fully there. Do you have research on that, on this idea of the difference between fully present time versus available but not fully present? Is there a difference in terms of parenting and the connection? So if I'm a parent that I can say, hey, as long as when I'm with my child and I'm fully present, that's what matters? Or is it like, no, you really need to be around a lot? Is there research on that concept? Yeah, absolutely. There's a big difference between quantity time and quality time. Again, unless we're going to extremes, and you would know this in your own, even with adult partnerships, having somebody is there, but their mind is somewhere else really doesn't have a positive impact overall. And it's the same with kids, too. We try to teach them to be fully present, not to be on electronic devices all the time, to stay in the moment. We learn that from children, too, by the way. They're great at teaching us that, as are dogs and cats, by the way. Staying in the moment and how magical that is. In any of our relationships, if we have somebody who's simply physically present, I mean, that's nice if you're watching a movie. But other than that, the impressions that they leave are that, you're not that important or whatever else is out there is more important. Those simply aren't the impressions that we want to leave with our children. And it's true at work too. If we're at work and just thinking about what our kids are doing at home, we're not going to be fully present for the projects that we're working on. You mentioned uh, delegating can really help as well. So is there a way that mothers can delegate, you know, in a way that really helps to juggle and balance and bring that kind of work-life integration, maybe even with a little less guilt than all of us parents constantly seem to feel? <laughs> I think that there are ways to delegate. You have to delegate and let go of the control. And I think that's the hardest part. Moms may be willing to delegate responsibility, for example, to their partner or to a sitter or to somebody else. But if they're constantly hovering and they, they're not really letting go of that situation. They're basically signaling, I don't trust you enough to take responsibility for that. So again, if you're going to trust somebody, if you're going to delegate responsibility, you have to also let go and let them do that. And frankly, it's better for the kids too, to hmm. see that. They learn trust as well. They learn a different way of doing things. With a partner, you have to let them do things their own way. 
and also let go of that. I just think that becomes a very difficult thing. And sometimes that can stir the guilt too, because mm-hmm. they feel like, oh, well, she's now going to play and she's wearing a snowsuit and it's 60 degrees outside because he let her do it. <laughs> Conversely, she's got, she's got sandals on and it's snowing. What is everybody going to think of me for letting him do that? Because I think anytime when you're delegating to somebody who's not paid, right, they're doing it as a family member, particularly when you're getting to the more extended family. Because I remember my sister with her first child and I'm the youngest of four. And she had my mom watching her son, who's a little baby on the beach. And she comes back and he's just like eating sand, right? And my sister's freaked out. Oh my God. And my mom, who's raised four kids, is like, yeah, he's building his immunities. You know? <laughs> she, you know, she had an understanding of, you know, babies are a lot more resilient than you think, right? But my sister with her first child is like most moms kind of overprotected. So I think that idea of delegating and recognizing if you're going to delegate somebody who is not paid, they're part of your family care unit and sort of respecting and trusting their judgment is important. Um, I think it's hard though. The last thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up this segment is building the career. If I am a mother and I'm balancing this, how do I make sure that spending time with my family doesn't derail my career or sideline my career? Because you do have those larger focuses. Are there tips or strategies that Mothers who have a strong, you know, fathers too, but mothers think on this segment that have a strong professional identity can do to say things you should do so so that being a parent does not sort of derail your longer term career goals. Sure. One of those things is not trying to keep those things totally separated from one another. Kids have an innate ability to understand that mom or dad is, is stressed, for example, that they were and other things. And depending on their age, they have an ability to understand certain aspects of their work. And I think sharing that can really be helpful if they know that when you're sitting at your desk, you're doing work and just generally the kind of work that you do and that, you know, it's doing this work that lets us buy these other nice things that we need to live and presenting it in a way that is positive but also requires some time to do, that can be really helpful for kids to start understanding. So it's not a matter of one versus the other. And I think that that oftentimes will lessen the feelings of guilt and angst that are there for mothers by trying to keep that somehow secret or hidden. Kids really can understand that and they can be helpful with that too. And I think that that really helps when mom's got a drive to succeed at work. You know, this can be a really positive thing. Not always. It's not when kids want attention, they want attention. But these are the things that we do so that we can live like we do. And we can all be helpful with that. So that's one thing. That's really interesting because, yeah, we always talk about sort of like having the company understand your family responsibilities, but also in a proper way telling the kids, this is what mom or dad does and the reason why it matters. And that discussion, I think you're right. We don't let kids understand enough sometimes what we actually do at work. We separate work too much out of life too. Right. And going back, integration goes both ways. But other last tips that you have? Yeah, I think the other that we haven't really touched on is self-care, which I know is overused. But I think a lot of times women in particular forget what that is, what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go book a massage or go to a spa or things like that. It can be just taking a walk 
taking time away. As Robert was saying earlier, you know, sometimes just taking that break to be by yourself or not even to be by yourself, just to not have to think about anything. But then having that be okay, because if you go away and you worry about it all the time, then you might as well have been there. It's really important to leave that behind. So whatever it is that allows you to take that break and leave those things behind is not wasted time. I can't tell you the number of times I hear women saying, you know, I'm, I'm outside, I'm walking now, but I feel really bad because I should be writing this or I should be doing this for the kid. You know, it's like you are taking the time, so just forget it. Pam, we really appreciate it. I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing some advice for mothers who are working to really balance and achieve this work-life integration. I know we asked once, but just any last words that, that you'd like to share with some of the moms out there? Mostly it's breathe. Take a deep <laughs> breath. <laughs> it's all going to be there. Just take a deep breath one step at a time. Thanks, Pam. And we're going to come back and we're going to ask you about fathers. And so you can tell Robert and I what we should have been doing that we probably weren't <laughs> doing. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. And we're going to wrap up this session and we'll come back in a, if, with our next session to talk about dad. A pleasure. Wow. So, well, Robert, first of all, congrats for getting called out as good parenting behaviors from an expert on this topic. I'm impressed, I think. As we're talking here, so many of these things. The first thing that I thought of talking to Pam is, Oh, I wish I could have talked to her 20 years ago when I was first yeah. having children. There was so many good, good insights that I think looking back, we muddled through and figured out, but we had to muddle through, particularly around this, the idea of delegation and advocacy. And I think for my wife, that the world was much different. She's a family practice doctor and the medical profession was not as friendly towards women 25 years ago as it yeah. is now. So things have gotten better, but there was a, a lot of really key tips. I think the one that I really just liked was this role clarification and managed integration was what struck me the most. How about you? What were some of the things that you took away? I think all of her points were really great advocating for yourself, uh, practicing work-life integration, leveraging others effectively, and then managing expectations at work and in the home. One that really spoke to me in particular was some of the delegation of responsibilities, you know, because, well, Pam may have been very complimentary. Uh, you know, sometimes we do struggle with that in the home because I do. I work all day. And, uh, and if I were to give my own self some advice, it'd be do more of the chores around the house so that uh, my wife doesn't always feel like she has to and maybe share some of that burden. Now, I'll get in trouble, like I usually do, for not doing it exactly right the way that she would do it. But you know, that's something that she could work on as well. And so there is a lot of give and take on that front that I know our family and I'm sure a lot of families uh, struggle with. Yeah, I think sort of in closing, the biggest thing is true of so many things is just actively manage it. You know, talk about issues before yes. you become issues. Realize that no matter what you plan, it's never going to be perfect, but actively manage that. And um, it just don't really be afraid advice. to talk about it. Well, I know we got to wrap up this one. I'm excited for part two, which is going to be more focused on fathers. But uh, do you want to take us out, Robert? That's our show, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Pamela Cohen. Thanks to our editor, Robbie Echevarria. Thanks to our chief sanity officer, Morgan Garner, and to Domi Caputo of the SAP.io Foundry program for making the show possible. Finally, thank you to Claudia Weller and the whole Open SAP team for supporting this and so much other educational programming for professionals. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we hope to have earned a subscriber and perhaps a quick rating wherever you may listen. 
it really does help others find this programming. Finally, we'll be sure to get you more information in our show notes. So if you're looking for more from Dr. Pamela Cohen or SAP, please look no further than that. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast because what matters? Well, today, family matters, work matters. Thanks for joining us on the Work Matters Podcast.